Hi there, great to have your company again. As you well know, this is MLEX's weekly podcast covering the top regulatory stories from around the world. James Paniki with you from MLEX's Asia-Pacific team, and welcome to our very last podcast for 2021. And to take us to the end-of-year holidays, we're going to have a chat with our Washington, D.C. team about a story that they've written for our US-based sister publication, FTC Watch. We've all heard of divestiture in the context of a large deal. That's when merging companies need to sell off chunks of their businesses to appease regulators. But who buys up those divested businesses, I hear you ask? Well, the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice don't choose the buyer, but they certainly need to sign off to make sure that there are no competition concerns. And here's where the story becomes interesting. Black investors, business owners or companies with a majority African-American board, are underrepresented, according to FTC's Watch painstaking research. In fact, our team wasn't able to identify a single divestiture asset that was acquired by black businesses over a three-year period, ending in July 2021. So what's going on? Well, Curtis Eichelberger, Kathleen Murphy and Robert Thomason crunched the numbers and tried to make sense of why this underrepresentation was occurring. And Curtis and Kathleen join me right now. So, um, Curtis, starting from you, so in that three-year period, the FTC oversaw about 30 or so divestiture sales, but not one of them to a black-based or black-owned company. That's right, James. Uh, We began our research by contacting the agencies to ask how many of the buyers fit in those categories. The FTC and the DOJ both said that they didn't track this information. Um, They had no idea on race or gender and and couldn't be any help. So they recommended um, every time they have a divestiture buyer, the FTC puts out a press release. They said, go back over the last three years worth of releases, pull out these divestiture uh, releases, and then you can go track them down. But we have nothing in-house that we can help you with. So in some cases, this could be done just going to the website. Uh, Some companies actually brag about uh, how many women or how diverse their their board is. In other cases, one owner um, wrote kind of like a a story about his family and how they had come to America. So that was helpful. But this took months. Um, It's really hard to believe that in all the review and analysis of of divestiture buyers, that the FTC and the DOJ doesn't include a checkbox for race or gender. I mean, you, you can't even apply for a job these days without identifying race and gender. So, um, but we couldn't find a single instance. So I went back to the agencies and we were told nothing had changed. They had no new information. They couldn't confirm that our numbers were correct. Uh, and they were sorry, the uh, director of the Bureau of Competition wouldn't speak to us either. She sent us a, a statement, a press release saying that the, the primary goal of divestiture orders is to restore competition lost from the merger and that the agency is committed to making the, the process open and available to everyone. Um, had I had an opportunity to speak to her, I would have asked her to, to define committed because uh, we didn't find any in the last three years. Okay, and Curtis, what do regulators at the U.S. competition agencies, the uh, Federal Trade Commission, the Department of Justice, what do they look for uh, when choosing a divestiture buyer? Well, we should be clear that the, the government doesn't pick the buyers. The government says the merger is going to create an anti-competitive problem in a certain uh, product or geographic market, and it needs fixed. It goes back to the companies and says, you resolve the problem. Uh, and then they work with them at that point. So the companies pick the buyer and submit their, their choice to the government 
which we use it for two things, basically. First, they want to make sure that the buyer isn't going to create their own antitrust problem. Uh, and second, the goal is for the buyer to immediately compete with the former parent. So you're trying to replace competition or even enhance it. So to that end, you know, they want the most experienced, you know, best well-financed, most well-staffed buyers uh, who are going to come in and innovate and, and start fighting the former parent immediately after the deal is concluded. So, so the bar is fairly high. Okay, um, Kathleen, let me bring you into the conversation now. This is obviously the ideal scenario that's just been outlined by Curtis, but it hasn't always worked out that way, has it? Yes, that's, that's true. The government has approved divestiture buyers that have failed spectacularly, leaving the government with egg on his face. And these experiences have had a lasting effect on regulators. Two examples that come to mind... In May 2013, the FTC approved Hertz's $2.3 billion acquisition of Dollar Thrifty Automotive Group on the condition that the combined company sell its Advantage rent-a-car business to Franchise Services of North America, which folded that business into its Simply Wheels subsidiary. But just a few months later, Simply Wheels filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. And another one, in, in 2014, Albertsons and Safeway announced a merger of their grocery stores. And to receive FTC approval, they agreed to sell 146 stores to Hagen, a, a West Coast regional grocer. And a year later, Hagen filed for bankruptcy. So these failures seem to have made the FTC more cautious about being sure to approve well-financed divestiture buyers. And the FTC is basing its approval on business plans and historical results. And it says on its website, an acceptable divestiture package is one that maintains or restores competition. But as Curtis was saying, the consequence of this practice has been that African-American-owned enterprises are not getting chances to buy a divested asset. And Curtis, uh, just coming back to you, so your research is saying that in 2021, after the Black Lives Matter uh, movement in the US just a year ago and the impact that black voters had on the last presidential election and uh, I suppose the the promises made to the black uh, community, the agency isn't uh, tracking this sort of information. So if they aren't uh, keeping statistics... I just wonder if if their commitment to bring about change here uh, actually holds water. I mean, how committed are they? Well, James, it's not that they're so they're not tracking the information, but it's not like they're unaware that there's a potential problem here. As recently as uh, 2018, the staff was was questioning the whole process by which they were selecting a buyer and asking themselves if it was fair. They wanted to know things like you know, how much flexibility do they have to consider divestiture buyers' background. They wanted to know, um, they, they realized that this kind of high bar, lack of experience really being harmful, kind of tilted the playing field. And, you know, minority-owned companies tend to be newer and smaller. So the FTC group was asking themselves, are we making it harder for these businesses to get a leg up? And if so, is there anything we can do about it? And they wanted to know if, if the criteria they were using to vet buyers to ensure those buyers were more likely to succeed, or were they making you know, sort of unsubstantiated assumptions you know, that were keeping black and racially diverse buyers out of the running? 
Now, we talked to lawyers who said that they'd represented buyers who went before the FTC and weren't chosen because of inadequate credit histories or, uh, yeah, or lack of expertise operating in the sector where the merging companies were going to compete. You know, one example was a, a successful uh, radio station owner where they played hip-hop, and he wanted to buy a country music station. And he was you know, said that he didn't have any experience in country music. Well, if you know an owner, he doesn't have to know the history of country music or hip-hop. You know, he's selling to advertisers. He employs people to sell the ads. It's not really apples to apples. So anyway, the FTC, the conversation the FTC was having you know, with its own people, nothing came of it. The FTC wouldn't say if they're still talking about it or if there is a committee uh, discussing it, even informally. Uh, we know they have a diversity committee, but they wouldn't even make that person available to us to see what they're doing. They wouldn't even, they, they said they've had a leadership change on this diversity committee. They wouldn't even acknowledge who the new person is in charge. They simply won't talk, period. And this is really a reflection of Lena's leadership at the FTC. And next is Curtis Eichelberger there talking to us from Philadelphia, along with FTC Watcher's Kathleen Murphy from Washington, D.C. And we'll continue our conversation with Curtis and Murph in just a moment. To read the story, you can head straight for our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X, marketinsight.com. Just click on the News Hub tab for the very best of our reporting and analysis. Thank you so much for sticking around. Don't forget you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify and Stitcher. Now returning to our conversation with Curtis and Kathleen. Uh, Curtis, we have outlined uh, the problem of underrepresentation or arguably I suppose a lack of representation of black businesses in acquisitions from M&A divestitures. But what is the black legal and business community telling you about all of this? Well, uh, most of them would, would only speak on background. There's a, there's a fear of repercussion, either in their practices, for their clients, or potentially if they come back and they try to buy an asset in the future. So they're, they're concerned. One person we did speak to on the record was uh, Robert Johnson, the, the billionaire founder of Black Entertainment Television, BET. He was a potential divestiture buyer uh, during United Airlines' failed acquisition of U.S. Airways in 2000. He, he was, you know... A little, I wouldn't say angry, but uh, frustrated. I think he's faced some issues over the years where he felt it wasn't a level playing field. And he said the government's record of, uh, you know, poor record of diversifying its buyers is a matter of resolve and not of black talent. He called it the soft side of bigotry. He said, you know, we're we're going to say, we're not going to say you're bad, yeah, but you're not quite good enough. Okay, well, uh, Kathleen, maybe I could put this question to you. To be fair to the agencies, how many uh, buyers, black buyers of the size of Bob Johnson, who we just mentioned now, how many are there in the United States? Well, James, they do exist. Research by Stuart Spencer, which is a, a global executive search and leadership consulting firm in Chicago, says that 21% of S&P 500 corporate board members in 2021 were African-American, Hispanic, Asian, American Indian, Alaska Native, or multiracial. And 30% were women, the most ever. Of the boards recruiting new directors this past year, 47% of incoming directors were racially diverse. 
and 43% of the new hires were women. So the numbers are small, but growing. The point that Johnson makes uh, is that there are successful black and racially diverse business people in our country. And it's And it's actually not the government's job to find them at all in this process. The businesses are tasked with finding the divestiture buyers. And so what some have suggested is that the government let sellers know that they'd be open to racially diverse buyers. Just noting that would have an impact on companies. And second, to keep records and gather data so a reasonable analysis can be performed. There is a reason why the FTC may be so quiet on the subject. It, it doesn't know anything. It, it never has made a serious effort to ask. Okay, well, Kathleen, let's take a few steps back here. There's nothing illegal about what the FTC is doing uh, in approving buyers who meet their, uh, their criteria for business plans and historical results. The FTC, in, in this respect, is, is following... The letter of the law, they say that an acceptable divestiture uh, plan is one that maintains or restores competition in the relevant market, uh, and they're sticking, therefore, quite clearly to this definition. But your investigation found that uh, black-led enterprises are less likely to be given a chance to buy divested assets, and the data showed that they have not become divestiture buyers in the past three years. So uh, you are pointing there to a problem in the criteria, right? And I mean, if that's the case, and everything is perfectly legal, I mean, how how does that ever change? How can meaningful change be brought about here? Racism is when prejudice and power meet. And the FTC divestiture process feeds it and lets it fester. Imagine finding no asset divested to a black investor, business owner, or corporation with majority African-American board in a three-year span. Yes, the process is open to all entrants that companies propose to the FTC, but the FTC is the government entity nodding and approving the selection. Ultimately, the FTC can decide to say no to a divestiture package that does not show effort or success in finding a racially diverse buyer. Just having talks about it among FTC staff isn't changing anything, and that's what we know about the past three years. FTC Chair Lena Khan says they are looking at the inadequacy of analytical tools in merger review and says there are blind spots, but she hasn't addressed how African-American businesses are kept out of the process of becoming divestiture buyers. If only one in 10 corporate boards are disclosing the number of people of color on the board, that's another way they're hiding what's going on here, keeping merger review country club closed to certain groups. Kathleen and Curtis, let's wait and see if the uh, Merger Review Country Club membership expands over coming years. But thank you so much for doing this research and thank you for speaking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, James. Thank you, James. Kathleen Murphy is a senior reporter with our sister publication, FTC Watch, and she's based in our Washington, D.C. offices. Curtis Eichelberger covers mergers and acquisitions for MLEX and he was speaking to us from Philadelphia. 
And the FTC Watch article that they wrote with the help of Robert Thomason required a lot of painstaking and frustrating reporting, as you just heard, yet it's all done and certainly there for you to read. mlexmarketinsight.com. That's mlexmarketinsight.com. Just go to the News Hub tab. And if you want to find out more about FTC Watch, their website is mlexwatch.com. That's mlexwatch.com, M-L-E-X-Watch.com. Now, sadly, I have to bid you farewell for this year, at least. We'll be taking a break for a few weeks. We plan to be back in your feed on Friday, the 14th of January. A big thanks to the MLEX marketing team for all of its support in publishing this podcast every week, to our editor-in-chief, Lewis Crofts, for his oversight, and to the MLEX editorial team around the world. It's been great to gather your insights every week. From me, James Paniki, and everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company this year and happy holidays. Bye for now.